What do you do on Sundays? We talk about Kate Blanchett, the acting, the costumes, the awards, but mostly the Blanchett of it all. Oh, oh I'm not acting. <laughs> you think this is a love affair? I saw you, Erica. Meeting in the middle. This is Sundays with Kate, and I'm your host, Murtada El Fadl. Welcome to a new episode of Sundays with Kate, a podcast series about the films of Kate Blanchett. I'm your host, Murtada El Fadl, and in today's episode, we are discussing her 2008 film, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. What a long title that is. My guest is Gavin Nevis, the host of the Mixed Reviews podcast. Hi, Gavin. Hi. I'm so excited to have you to discuss this film. We discussed Kate in general on your podcast, and that was a great yeah. conversation. So That uh, episode is like burning up in numbers. It's just like shooting through the roof. So thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. That's the power of Kate. It's not <laughs> my power. Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Let's just call it Crystal Skull because that's yeah. such a long name. So this movie was released in 2008 and it is one, two, three, the fourth film. In, Correct. And so far the last film in the Indiana Jones movies, although they're, they were threatening a couple of years ago that they were going to do a new one. I, I think there's still talk for 2021 oh. for there to be. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, unless Kate comes back, I'm definitely going to skip it. Before we dive into Crystal Skull, let me ask you, what was the first time you saw Kate on screen? So, I I know you asked this of everybody, and I, re- I really want to be like, it was Elizabeth, like everybody else does. But genuinely, even though I was like a movie person growing up, I think it was Pushing Tin. Okay. I think it might have been Pushing Tin on HBO. So you missed her by a couple of years. Yeah. Because Fishing Thin was the year after Elizabeth, or two years after Elizabeth, and then HBO was probably a few months after that, yeah. I think I had, like, a weird chip on my shoulder growing up about costume dramas, where I was like, oh, that's going to be boring. But Mm -hmm. I was completely wrong by the time I eventually saw it. But did you like Pushing Tin? She she's good in it, and actually Angelina Jolie's good in it. But I I don't uh, Billy Bob Thornton and John Cusack. I just I really I have a vivid memories of the scene where they like let the plane fly over them and and let it knock them over, and that's it for that movie. That's completely that's more than I remember, and I'm sure I've seen it. She gets to play the the boring woman, and we talked about this on the mixed reviews. Like, why would you ever cast her as the boring woman? And I know Angelina Jolie. Like, I get it, but she just wanted to do something different than Elizabeth. That's my theory. When did you start being into movie, and who was like the first actor or actress? I'm assuming it's an actress. Um, that was your first love. <laughs> um. Oh God, that's a that is a really good question. I think. Uh, I think I was always really into movies and I think that uh, partially is my dad's fault who like re- really loved renting movie. Like when, when VCR came around, I, I have no idea how old you are, but I'm in my mid thirties. So like I was there for VCRs coming into to Vogue and the idea of renting movies being like a new idea. And my dad loved 
love to rent movies, but I think the actress, the, the first actress I really fell in love with, um, and I think it was Sally Field. Oh, wow. Sally yeah. so amazing. She really is. And and I think it's, we watched a ton of, of like, the, the serial dramas that she, you know, the oh, the Union movie. Norma Ray. Norma Ray. We watched Norma Ray a lot as a kid, and Soap Dish was on so much in my house. And so, like, I I genuinely think it was Sally Field. And I, I do think it was it was a love. And part of it is, you know, part of it is that in the 80s and 90s, like, really beautiful woman but also i think there was like a maternal aspect that i associated with my mom because my mom loved her so much mm. and so it carried over into me as well i have a sally field story too um when i was very little i had an older cousin who would rent videos and because you know they were older and they could actually rent videos <laughs> um and i would watch whatever they would bring because you know we lived close by and um she had like a passion for Sally Field. And I remember her talking about how she loved Sally Field. And it was while we were watching that movie where Sally Field has a ghost husband played by James Caan. I don't remember the movie's name. I don't remember the name of it either, but I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> and I remember she saying that she loves Sally Field and she's just going to watch all her movies. And when she sees her in a movie at the video store, she picks it up. And that's like my first memory of like, oh, you can have like one actress you love. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You're like, oh, this is how the obsessive brain works. I got it. I got yeah. it. So, so that was my Sally Field story. But anyway, we're here to talk about Kate Blanchett as Irina Spalco in <laughs> Crystal Skull. What a name. I love that name. I think actually it's a very good name. I, I would say, and this is probably not a popular opinion because I know there's probably some Indiana Jones diehards out there. She's like one of the best things about the movie. Yeah, <laughs> I would agree. But anyway, Indiana Jones is about Indiana Jones, uh, who is played by Harrison Ford. So anyway, it's a very convoluted plot and story, but somehow he gets called into action back because something happens and there's a crystal skull and it's supposed to be... I don't know, something about it reads minds, whatever. This whole MacGuffin yeah. is so crazy and it's needlessly too much. crazy. Yes. It, yeah. This is more about like Indiana's family because he meets up with Gary Allen, who I love from the first movie, who was his yeah. first love in, in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And Shia LaBeouf is their son. And Kate is Irina's Falco. And this is the second time that she plays a psychic after the gift. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, she's not just a psychic. She is basically the antagonist. She's a Russian yeah. spy. Um, she's a doctor. She's a colonel in the army. She's a very skilled fencer. Somebody calls her, one of the minor characters calls her Stalin's fair-haired girl, which I'm like, she has a black bob. Why is she... Sad? Yes, 100%. <laughs> you know what's funny about that? And that makes me wonder if that's a, a refugee from an earlier draft because she's the one who decided on the black bob. Kate oh. Blanchett was the one who like swept in and was like, give me a black bob. So, <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay. I just, I mean, it's so severe. It doesn't look bad, and this is not me, but it's so severe and so striking. I 100% understand why she was like... Because... 
there's not a ton to that character, which is why you need to cast somebody that's as charismatic as her mm-hmm. to really yeah. give it something. And uh, and I like that she was like, well, I should like I can't do do this all on my own. Like, give me something visual. Yeah, I mean, it's very visual. Like, it's something you can't miss, right? So she is first introduced five minutes into the film, and you first hear her voice. Yes. And she does so much both with the voice and visually. So visually, we've already talked about the bop. She's got this gray jumpsuit overall. It's, that's her one costume, but it's also a very, a very memorable costume. And yeah. an all-purpose costume. She can do everything in it. That's true. That is very true. You know, she can fence, she can do karate, which is apparently something Steven Spielberg added on set. Um, oh. He was like, oh, by the way, your character does karate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you did your research. You're prepared. I did. I did. <laughs> I, I love, I will admit, I love how she's introduced into the movie by you hear her voice first. And what's great is she leaves a car. And what you do is you see the car door and you just see her black glove, mm-hmm. like grab the top of the door. And then she rises above the top of the door and it's just like oh there she is you know kate always gets introduced as the movie star that she is in all Absolutely. her movies and this is another one you hear her voice first and you just describe the whole thing and she does <laughs> a lot with the voice like she has a very unique accent some people call it russian although indiana jones himself identifies it as ukrainian and i'm sure kate did her homework and it was exactly what was in the script if there are any Ukrainian listeners, tell us, did you like the accent or not? You're going to get so much hate mail. You're going to be like, it's terrible. But no, but I but I also thought it was pretty good. But I also think there's like, there's a bit of cartoony quality. You know, the Indiana Jones movies, the original concept for them is that they're meant to be like the 1930s serial. And why they updated this one to the 50s and made it more science fiction is is how popular culture went towards the 50s. But I like that she, I feel like she's still hanging on to that 30s serial villain with the like the exaggerated accent and the visually striking look. And I don't know, I think that's really interesting. Yeah. And she also adds to the accent, we talked about visually, but sonically she adds these clip tones. So not only is she speaking in this accent, but she's always very clipped. So it's something else extra. And then... Visually, she also adds, like, she moves kind of like a robot. Yes. <laughs> so it's <laughs> clipped tones and clipped movements. So she's really into it. It's to your point it, earlier about how there's not much in maybe in the screenplay for her. So I guess she had to do all this work to just pop. And it's funny, too, because the, the her very first scene, her introduction, the one of the first things she tells Indiana Jones, essentially, is that she is in some way latently psychic that she can predict things that happen. She like touches his face and she's like, you're a hard man to read. And none of that really carries any further. I mean, when she finds the crystal skull at first, there's like hints towards it, but it really, it's the, it's like a plot that's introduced and almost immediately dropped. Yeah. It's like, I'm Oh, by the way, none of this matters. Let's not talk about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just know that I'm doing some psychic stuff in the background. Yeah. So anyway, the movie is about Indiana Jones. And so I wanted to ask you first, like, how are you with Indiana Jones? Do you, do you love any of them? Did you grow up watching them? Uh, I, I did. I grew up watching them. I, I do really like the, the original trilogy. I'm not the world's biggest Steven Spielberg fan, but I think he brings a really amazing cartoony quality to 
these films that he kind of he forgot how to do when it came to this one and kind of goes a, a little over the deep end. There's like a little too much of that cartooniness. Mm-hmm. But I but I think he strikes the right tone in the original trilogy, especially in the third one. I think the third one is like if you're gonna name them as being like really special, I think the third one, the comedy between him and Sean Connery, the you know, the the that ending, the the weirdness of like the bridge that doesn't really exist. And there's something also oddly I don't want to say plausible. Plausible is not the right word, but they but they never hit this super extreme area to the to the extent that this film does with like the character of Mutt swinging through the trees with all the monkeys or like flesh eating ants that are not explained. <laughs> They're just a, a phenomenon of life. Yeah. And so like I I do think I grew up really liking them because they're fun. Also. You know, they're the type of movies my father really liked. Uh, he was a huge James Bond fan, and that carried over to me. I realized there's a ton of problems with James Bond. Please don't come for me. I get it. He's a sexist. It's awful. But I love the James Bond movies, and Spielberg wanted to make a James Bond movie, and they wouldn't let him. So he created or helped create Indiana Jones to fulfill that purpose. And honestly, the the car chase and the, the gunning down of the army station and the reintroduction of Indiana Jones feels like a James Bond opening sequence. Yes, totally. Yeah, it does. I am partial to the first Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. That is such a perfect movie. And I remember watching it as a little kid and just loving everything and also having so much anxiety in that scene where he's (laughs) followed by the big boulder. Because, you know, when you're a kid, things seem more real. And I thought the boulder was coming to me, but, you know, I'm still here. (laughs) <laughs> Which is also, like, essentially a James Bond opening sequence, yeah, you know? Totally. Yeah, absolutely. The other great advantage of the Raiders uh, of the Lost Ark is Karen Allen, who, oh, yeah. you know, who has so much chemistry with Harrison Ford. Some of it's there in this one, and that's not, I don't think it's her fault, <laughs> but some of it's there in this one. Yeah. It, it's it was, not all. It was very lovely to see her. Um, have right. you ever seen her with Jeff Bridges and Starman? Yes, years ago. In fact... That my dad hated that movie because uh, of how much my mom loved Jeff Bridges in that. He's so movie. sexy in that movie. <laughs> he really is. Very sexy. He Even really child is. me knew how sexy Jeff Bridges was in Starman. <laughs> but <laughs> it's so true. But I love I loved Starman and I love her for Starman. And yeah. Starman was one of those movies that when I was a little kid I watched it, I don't know. 12,000 times just because it was so good and it was available on VHS all the time. But back to Indiana Jones and Harrison Ford. This is the movie that was of the Indiana Jones series that was, if we want to be um, generous, we can say it was indifferently um, (laughs) received. If we want to be less generous, we can say it was negatively received. This is not box office because this movie made all the money that it could make. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but it's just critically and in the culture, this was the one that people were just like, no, we do not <laughs> like Indiana Jones anymore. And it's so it's so funny. I feel like a lot of people point directly to the atomic bomb testing scene and the yeah. hiding. So at one Indiana Jones, the first time he gets away from Kate Blanchett, he rides a rocket train, which just happens to be there, into a nuclear bomb testing site where he hides in a fridge and gets basically tossed around like 10 or 12 times to the point where every bone in his body would be broken and he would be pudding and incredibly irradiated, even though it's a lead-lined fridge, and he somehow basically gets out without a scratch. And people, like, <laughs> use 
this one scene as a microcosm of what's wrong with the movie. And I get the impulse to do that, but there's a lot of problems with the movie. It is a ridiculous scene, and it's early on in the movie, and it sets the tone for how ridiculous this yeah. movie is. But everything about Indiana Jones is usually ridiculous. Like, <laughs> exactly. I don't know, did people just realize in 2008 that these movies are ridiculous, their plots are ridiculous, <laughs> what happens is ridiculous. Like, the whole thing with the whip in Raiders of the Lost Ark, it's very ridiculous, but it's very fun. Yeah. Maybe it just wasn't as... It was still ridiculous, but maybe just not as much fun. And that's why people... Turned on it. Anyway, I have a quote from Steven Spielberg here that I'm going to read it about that refrigerator scene because people blame George Lucas because I think George Lucas is known as less of a writer, let's say, than Spielberg. (laughs) So people blamed Lucas for this. And Spielberg says, and I quote, what people really jumped at was Indy climbing into a refrigerator and getting blown into the sky by an atom bomb blast. Blame me. Don't blame George. That was my silly idea. People stop saying jump the shark. They now say nuke the fridge. I'm proud of that. I'm glad I was able to bring that into popular culture. I mean, it did teach us one thing, Gavin, right? If we ever were to be faced with a nuclear apocalypse, we can get into the fridge. And fridge, yeah. Get as, long, the fridge. as long as there's a nice close-up of the plaque that says it's lead-lined. Like, right before... I did notice that this time. I was like, okay... I get it. You're trying to cover your bases. Yeah, and, and I did. I do think it's funny that the the man that he like like the FBI agent or whatever who comes to collect him afterwards is like, Indy, I heard you're a cop playing in a fridge. Don't you know those things are dangerous?" I was like, <laughs> oh, "Okay, come on." <laughs> yeah, it's very ridiculous. Very, um, let's say, ludicrous, not just ridiculous. So let's talk about how ridiculous Kate is. Because her performance is totally playing into this ridiculous campy mode of the film. So we already talked about the look and the tones, but everything is everything she says is very heightened. Everything is stylized, like the way she walks, the way she talks. You know, it's very stylized, it's heightened. It is too much. Everything is too much. Like the bob is too much. The accent is too much. The gray jumpsuit is too much. It's all too much. And I think it feeds into the too muchness of the film itself. So, you know, remember when Dame Judy said to her in Notes in a Scandal, I gave you exactly what you wanted. I think she gave Spielberg exactly what he wanted. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> she does this thing, uh, especially in the scene where she, like, she attempts to hypnotize, or I guess, I'm not sure what her goal is. She's trying... They're trying it's to find the location. It's all very muddled and confusing. Everything yeah. in this movie is. <laughs> so, she, so she sets the crystal skull in front of Harrison Ford, and he does his, like, shaking thing, staring at it. But she's delivering this monologue the whole time, and her eyes just get wider and wider. And all I can think is going on in her head the whole time is, like, don't you blink. Don't you blink, Blanchett. Don't you dare blink. And she doesn't. She They just keep getting bigger to the point where you're just, like, do human eyes do that? Like, well, how is she doing that? Many, many uh, but it is, It's the editing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you're right. It's it's that element of too much. It's it's one of those things where you're like, well, what would you do if you were d- delivering an impassioned speech while hypnotizing a person with a crystal skull? I guess you just notch that tension up further and further using only your eyes. <laughs> yeah. So this performance is not loved. Like... I, you know, I can anecdotally say that it's not loved. 
just talking to people in my life and, you know, in general. Um, Though Spielberg has said it's his favorite villain yeah. out of the Indiana Jones movies, so you know, someone Spielberg, loves it. Spielberg, like me, I guess is not impartial. <laughs> <laughs> but why do people kind of don't like this before? Like, why this disdain for this performance? Is it just the film wasn't exciting? This comes in 2008 after she's been basically on a tear making movies for a few years where she had several movies every year and even in 2008 she had two benjamin button was released later in the year so was there like kate fatigue what was happening why did people why do people just because i think to what we were talking about she she did it she did the performance that was asked of the part i don't know i mean i think kate fatigue is is maybe a, a good way of putting it but also you know i think the people that go see indiana jones only still really knew her, even though once again she's a very award lauded mm-hmm. actress and whatnot. But the the audience for Indiana Jones, I feel like, still in their heads, have like Galadriel, and mm. that's it, because that's that's the type of movie Indiana Jones is. It's you know, it's the Lord of the Rings for for archaeology geeks. Yeah, and and so I wonder if maybe that's it, where Galadriel's this like ethereal, otherworldly, you know, and and Spelko is, I don't, like you said, she's like a robot who's very intense. <laughs> and so I wonder if maybe that's, like, they just didn't know what they're getting at. But I, but I also just think it's really, I don't think of the other Indiana Jones movies as the villains being stunt casted. Like, their villains are rarely people that I'd be like, oh, I know that actor, you know, or like, that, that actor's so memorable and they show up elsewhere and other things. And I think maybe that's also the problem is, is mm-hmm. this part, as I, as I mentioned, it's not on paper. It's not really anything special. You know, there's some quirks given, mm-hmm. but they're instantly done away with. So I yeah. wonder if the problem is, too, is that you have this celebrity playing this role and there's nothing to it. So I feel I feel like, as you <laughs> said, she, she gave Spielberg what he wanted. So maybe the blame shouldn't fall on her for the people that don't like it you know who i blame i blame that ludicrous death scene she (laughs) the death scene is so ridiculous like everything in this movie is ridiculous but that's just extra ridiculous like let's just set this up so irena's palco finally finds the crystal skull and i don't know you know and this is where the psychic thing that they mentioned in the first 10 minutes comes back and so she while everybody's running away from the crystal skull she goes up to the crystal skull and i don't know how she gets up there but anyway she gets up there (laughs) and she looks at the crystal skull and she says tell me i'm ready i want to know and then the first the crystal skull i don't know sends some shining waves to her something to, to her eyes and then the skull appears and then she's blown out because of the waves that she got from it's so ludicrous it's so crazy and just and it doesn't even look good and and two things that uh i want to add to that one the it's really weird that they go so out of their way to be like because they do it at least twice in the film to be like they're not aliens they're from another dimension (laughs) and it's like and and that almost feels like a step too far it's like i could get behind aliens but we're introducing dimensional travel into indiana jones and the other thing is is she is, like the villains of Indiana Jones films, destroyed 
in the classic way of her own hubris. Mm. You know, the first one, the Nazis die because they open the Ark of the Covenant and they don't close their eyes. The second one, uh, I can't think of the bad guy's name, but he really wants the stones and he chooses the stones over life. The third one, the guy drinks from the wrong cup because he wants immortality and ages to death. And in this one, she wants the knowledge. But there is very little to say that these interdimensional aliens, whatever you want to call them, are vicious or or not benevolent in any way. So it's really strange that she gets the skull and she sticks around and she's like, I want to know. And the alien like angrily looks at her and then burns her out from the inside. I mean, I guess you could also say maybe she traveled to what other dimension they're in. Maybe that's just how it looks. But I, I, mean, I, I somehow doubt that. You seem to have understood this movie much more than <laughs> I did. <laughs> because the uh, Falco's still out there. That's my, that's my truth. Yeah, but, I'm, uh, just, I'm just going by the visuals. I'm, I'm like saying something appeared and then she was blown <laughs> off. <laughs> I mean, but that's but that's what it gives you, and I and I I don't think that's a wrong reading of what happens. Maybe he was just annoyed because she just kept saying, I want to know, I want to know, yeah, over and I over know. again. Yeah, she was so into wanting to know. I um, do enjoy the first time she appears in the movie and Indiana Jones like, oh, the way you're playing into those wubbies. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. he's such a jerk, Indy. He's such a jerk. So Blanchett is someone who never gets bad reviews, but this is one of the instances where not all her reviews were, were bad, but no. I want to mention one that is, vicious because it's fun to like read somebody um and this is you know the village voice so they say (laughs) blanchett who has absolutely no idea what to do is her role she's equal parts evil and incompetent and she is the least dangerous villain indiana jones has ever faced turns out that george lucas and steven spielberg are far more threatening foes so shade and just calling her bad. Yeah. I know we're in the middle of a, like, shia sans or whatever, so we yeah. can't say too much bad about Shia LaBeouf because of Honey Boy right now. But, like, in a movie in which Shia LaBeouf... this movie. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, in a movie in which Shia LaBeouf's giving that performance and you decide to go after Kate Blanchett for the performance she's giving... Like, there's, this, there's a line where Shia LaBeouf has to say daddy-o, and it's the least convincing I've ever heard anyone say daddy-o, a phrase that's impossible to say in a serious way. It's funny, I don't, I don't remember which review called him that, but one of the reviews I was reading, I, I don't have it in front of me, but anyway, we'll put it in the notes for the podcast later, which review it was, but he, that review mentions that he based his look on Marlon Brando in The Wild One, which is totally true, he just looks like Marlon Brando in that film. But they say, but he's not the wild one. He's the mild one. You did put uh, a couple other uh, reviews in an outline. And I, I have to say, like, the, the reviewer that caught on that she she's doing Lottie Lenya from, uh, from Russia with Love, the character of Rosa Klebb, is brilliant. Because that's exactly what she's doing. Maybe not with so many gay mm-hmm. overtones, but, like, that's, that's exactly what she's doing. And I do like the... And that's Richard Corliss Manolo Dargis who said yes. that, who is obviously the most brilliant critic. Yes, absolutely. And then Richard Corliss of Time mentioned that she, you know, she has the demeanor of Sid Charisse in Ninochka. Um, And I was like, oh, I didn't, 
I hadn't even thought of that, but she does. She has that sort of, she also, and and it's just the Bob, but like I look at her and I see very Louise Brooks mm, sort yeah, of quality, yeah. you know, but the, but I like that comparison, the Sid Charisse comparison. Yeah. I mean, Kate always looks, to older classic actresses and classic parts. Yeah. Like, she based A Good German on Ingrid Bergman. Obviously, yeah. we talked, she played Catherine Hepburn. Her Cinderella villain was based on John Crawford. Or at least that's what she said. So I'm not surprised. <laughs> <It comes crossed. laughs> I'm not surprised that, you know, she looked at, you know, according to these critics, at other classic parts. So because it, it's what she does. But who walked like that? Who was a robot? Yeah. Where did she get that Where did from? she get that? There, there was, I think somebody else briefly, and I, I feel bad for not crediting them, uh, briefly mentioned Marlena Dietrich, and maybe she's doing a little, like, a little bit of the Dietrich, but even Dietrich was never so, like, stiff and mannered yeah, as like Falco is. I think her Dietrich is more Carol, who yes. is both... Sam and androgynous. Oh, the title of my autobiography. <laughs> She's always asked, like, when, when Hollywood goes to her for big movies, um, action movies, Lord of the Rings aside, they ask her to play villains, because she was, you talked about Cinderella, she was also a villain in Hannah, which is another yes. studio film. So are they just, you know, they can't see her as anything else? Because when she made this movie, I know like, you know, when actresses are older in their 40s and 50s, they in big movies, they either play the villain or, you know, authority figures. And she played right. villains, also Thor. Uh, but she made this oh, yeah. movie when she was in her 30s. Is that the only thing they could see her on? It could be that Hollywood doesn't see her as that. Or also she, she has shown in her career sort of a reluctance to play the girl which is right. the other thing that has, you know, big movies have for women. The, I, I don't know. That's a, that's a really solid question. And I do wonder if we have a, we have a tendency in, in the U.S. to cast British people specifically mm. as villains. And part of, it is, part of it is the Revolutionary War, like ingrained in our psyche. But also part of it is the like foreign mystique and whatnot. I know she's Australian, but I feel like she has played so many British people. She's an she honorary gets... Brit. <laughs> exactly. She gets put in that. But the funny thing is, is more than half the time when she plays the villain, she's not playing a Brit. But, you know, in Hannah, yeah. she's got that big Southern accent, you know? Mm -hmm. And and then in this, she's got that, that like, goofy, possibly Ukrainian, you know, heavy on the wubbies slash Russian-y accent. So I, do, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I mean, she has very sharp features and especially like when the when the makeup is done to like accentuate them those cheekbones that could cut mm -hmm. glass and i wonder if that, that's what it is is that they but i but those features are what make her so beautiful yeah so but of course you know lady tremaine and cinderella that's the whole thing is yeah. that she is beautiful yeah. and so evil yeah so i don't i don't know what it is that makes hollywood look at her and be like oh she's the baddie but and maybe she takes these parts, you know? We always think that it's Hollywood that does this, but right. actors have a say, too, and maybe she gravitates to those parts because they... I mean, it is... I would say Irina Spalco is more interesting than what Karen Allen has to do right. here. So, <laughs> I mean, that's the other part for a woman in the movie. Right. And it is funny listening to her... Yeah, you know, I watched a couple of interviews specifically about this, 
And one of the things she said, and I thought was so funny, is she talked about how much she loved the other Indiana Jones films. And what she was really excited for was watching this one get slotted into the box set oh. of Indiana Jones movies. And so, I mean, clearly there's a part of her that wanted to take this role just because she she loved this thing and, and she wanted to be part of this thing. And she is forever a part of it, for better or for worse. Yes. Although um, some people don't like that she was part of it. But anyway, so <laughs> she has, like, my favorite scene was the big sort of car chase in the forest yeah. with the sword fighting. Because she and Chaya gets to sword fight in the end. Right. And that also has, like, my favorite quote from the character, which is just playing into even more into how ridiculous this movie is and how ridiculous this character is. Because as they are fighting, sword fighting, she says to him, a very stupid innuendo, but it's it's also fun. She says, you fight like a young man, eager to begin, quick to finish. So <laughs> she's and, making a sex joke right there. <laughs> and, I, and I love that too, because even though like 100% until that point, her character is very sexless. Yeah. Very, <laughs> like she's so one-track mind. I do like, that's maybe one of my favorite lines in the movie because that feels like quintessential Indiana Jones. You know, you have that great line in Raiders where it's like, it's not the years, honey, it's the miles. Uh, yeah. And yeah. like, it, it, it's akin to that for me, even though that's said by Indy uh, and this is said by the villain. But that's that. That's the sort of thing that I expect from this movie. Is that like tongue firmly in the cheek, even if it's from the villain? Yeah, it's a good line. I chuckled, maybe <laughs> you know, for one of the very few chuckles I did. I mean, I chuckled every time Kate was in because it was just so much. It was too much. It's so ridiculous. Like it's such a ridiculous performance, and she must know. And this is kind of what I like about Kate. I love yeah. that she is never afraid to be ridiculous she's fearless like she she always goes big and this is i think why some people do not connect with her is because if she has a choice to be subtle or go big she'll be like nope put on that (laughs) wig let me put on the accent i'm gonna wear everything the costume designer has i'm going big i have a hurricane in me and i'm bringing it exactly no and i i think i think that's 100 correct like she yeah she is I, I've I've mentioned this before while talking about her, but she's she. It's not even that she's so much an actor; she's a force. Yeah. And sometimes she sweeps into the movies like a hurricane, and 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 maybe that's part of the thing too. Is Harrison Ford is such a, a like minimalist? Like the mm. the one time you see him get real excited in the movie is when he doesn't want to touch the snake. Yeah. When he's like lost in the dry sand and. And Shia LaBeouf's trying to get him out there. He's like, just call it a rope. And so you have this, you have this like big, like, I'm I'm here and I'm going to deliver my lines and I'm going to make my eyes really big. And Harrison Ford's just like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and to me, that's part of the problem too, is the energies are just so off. He is kind of not very energetic and he's also no. saddled with explaining this convoluted plot which i'm like spielberg this is way too much this is too confusing too convoluted simplify and and just harrison ford has no energy delivering this exposition which he has to do in so many scenes and he's less excited about delivering the exposition of the movie the plot of the film than he is about explaining the difference between quicksand and dry sand because once again, 
that part of the movie is one of the more charismatic moments where he's like, no, actually quicksand is wet and muddy. And he's like, and they're like, calm down, professor. Like, that's the one time I was like, okay, he's like excited to be here. Yeah. Yeah, he's not excited in many scenes, but that was one of the very few ones. Um, he is. Do you think he was excited to work with Karen Allen again? Because they have a couple of scenes where they do the tic-tac-tac, back and forth, yeah. the Tracy Hepburn thing. You know, I love Karen Allen, so I was like, oh, I love, this is good, this is maybe yeah. good, but I'm not so sure. What do you think? It's definitely not as sharp as Raiders. <laughs> it doesn't have that feeling. And you really... The, the first time they see each other, you really want that spark to fly. Mm. And I think that's maybe one of the worst moments of of their of their energy together. When they first see each other and he's like, oh, you, I had, a, she's like, I had a happy life without you. And he's like, so did I. And she's like, oh, I bet there were plenty of other women, you know? And he's like, yeah, but they weren't you. And it doesn't, it doesn't connect there. I, I do think there are other scenes where it really, play, when she, I feel bad I keep referencing the, the dry sand seed, but that's where she tells him hey, mud is there's his not son. that many memorable scenes in this movie. <laughs> Once again, flesh-eating ants. Um, the, uh, I, and they're not just flesh-eating, they can carry a man into their giant ant hole. Anyways, when they're in the sand and she tells him that mutt is his son and he's like, right before that explaining, he's like, you shouldn't be so hard on him about school and everything. That scene, I think, is one of the scenes where they have much better chemistry, mm-hmm. and I'm yeah. wondering if it's, I'm wondering if it's because the focus isn't so much on them, and the pressure isn't so much about like, will they, won't they, like, what's gonna happen? Like at that point, they've already fallen into routine, mm-hmm. and it's just like now it's just like old times. And yes, she's delivering important information to him, but it, it feels better. But you're right, it doesn't. You know, as you said, it doesn't have that like tic tac back and forth, like you know, like call and response and it's it's just not as quick and i don't i don't want to give blame to either one of them dialogue isn't as sharp as no, it could it's be not. yeah the screenplay is not sharp just in general it's just not yeah. sharp yeah and to think that you know they had so many resources and i don't know how many writers are credited i think i saw three names and i'm just like you couldn't get it sharper than this there's at least 10 years worth of screenplays before that. Mm-hmm. You know, that it went through so many different variations and yeah. completely other, you know, Frank Darabont wrote one that was called In the Valley of the Gods. And, you know, it's all these different voices. And I, I do think, I think there are genuinely, you know, remnants from older scripts in there, much like the, you know, the, the fair haired child. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. But people don't go to Indiana Jones for the witty banter. They go for the action. So um, I don't know how the action was for you. As I was reading reviews, I really liked what David Edelstein in New York Magazine said about the, the action. He said, the setups are wittier than the payoffs. And I felt that. Uh, once I read that, I'm like, oh, somebody nailed it. And, it, and it's so true. And it, it's funny because I, th- I actually think the action gets worse as the movie goes along. One of the one of the things Spielberg had said is he really wanted to rely on physical stunts out and not just, you know, CG created bits. And so I think the stuff like a lot of the stuff in the warehouse works, except for like all the fan servicey, like here's the Ark of Covenant and whatnot. But like the idea of Indiana Jones crashing his truck and two trucks crashing together and him getting out of it and all that looks very physical, clearly doubled to heck. Yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of Harrison Ford. 
that man that man can barely like walk you know let alone run across the rooftop of things but i think the action you know especially when it moves to the jungle mm-hmm. it's real ugly real you know the the fight on top of the cars the the car boat like with the tree that's maybe my most egregious thing in the movie when they drive off the cliff into the tree and then they fall off and the tree slingshots back up and yeah. hits Spelko's men and oh, it wow. all just looks like a cg mess it's yeah, really it really bad yeah it it doesn't hold up and so i think i think that's uh, you know it does hit the nail on the head you know, the setups are great and they're witty and they're fun, but there's very little payoff to them. It's it's a pity, you know, they could have done so much with this film. So, and I get that you go to an Indiana Jones movies to watch Indiana Jones in peril. When I watch Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, I'm more worried about his hips than I yeah. am about his life. <laughs> <laughs> now that Chai is back in everybody's good graces, maybe they'll bring him back. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Thank God. I, because I think the reason that there was not one two years later is because, you know, it wasn't received that well critically, uh, but also because just Shia didn't yeah. establish himself as the heir apparent they were hoping he is. He's still such an odd casting choice watching that movie and being like, what was it about his audition that sold, you know? Yeah. I don't, I be, but I mean, he also led three Transformers films. I've never seen any of the Transformers films. Neither I'm sure I. they're, yeah, I'm sure they're cinematic masterpieces, as everybody says. <laughs> but like, but I, somebody in Hollywood clearly thinks he's charismatic enough to lead a movie. Well, I think he can be good. Like, yeah, um, no, I have liked him, like, when he works with a director who knows what they're doing. Not that Spielberg yeah. doesn't know what he's doing, he has <laughs> obviously proven that he does. Um, but maybe not with Crystal Skull. But like when he worked with Andrea Arnold, that was a great performance and he was very charismatic in that. So let's talk a little bit about Spielberg. You said you're not a huge fan. I can't say I'm a huge fan too, but I have some of his movies that I love. The Color yeah. Purple is a staple in our home since a long, long time. Um, I have a story about that. I think, I don't know how young I was when I first saw it, but I was young enough. And I remember we were all watching it at home and then, you know, me and my sister and my parents and then, you know, dinner came and they're like, oh, like dinner, but they left the movie on. (laughs) And so we went to the dinner table while watching The Color Purple and I was just started sobbing while eating. And I still remember that because everybody stopped watching the film and eating to look at me just completely <laughs> having a breakdown um, with Sealy. So I love The Color Purple. What about you? Um, in terms of films that I like by Spielberg, I genuinely just, love The Color Purple. I do. If that movie was made nowadays, he'd clearly not be the right director for it. But I think yeah. at the time... He did, he did he, a good he, job. He did a good job, and he really used his clout to, to get that movie yeah. made. And and so, like, that's the big thing for me is that, yeah. you know, he was s- smart enough to, to do that. Jurassic Park, I love the original Jurassic Park. I love yeah. I love the first three Indiana Jones movies as well. Yeah. Obviously, the first one and the third one are better than the second. He's such an interesting director because I think he's really defined what a lot of people think of mm. as cinema. As movies, for, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. as movies for, like, uh, for a large portion of the audience. And a lot of it's very simple and very... I don't want to say base, but it's it's that level where it's just like, oh, that's a bad guy. I know because he's wearing a hat and he's lit from below and he's yeah. looming up, you know, and 
that's the good guy. And they're lit from above and everything's light on, you know, and that's, I mean, to this day, I still, I mean, I watched Ready Player One on a plane last year for some reason. And uh, I was, I was clearly very bored. And it's <laughs> like, it still looks like that. It all looks like that. Yeah. And I think, mm-hmm. I think that that cinematic language has really seeped into the popular consciousness as to like, well, this is what a film is. He clearly has a legacy. I mean, I, I don't think modern cinema would be where it is without him or the way that, that a lot of people think about it. But yeah, I, I don't know. And I genuinely don't understand his output as of like the last 10 years. I, I have no idea what makes him make a movie and what makes him not make a movie. I mean, Bridge of Spies and the BFG, like what yeah. are these? I haven't seen the BFG, but yes. Bridge I, have, of Spies. I haven't I seen I fell asleep either. during that one. Uh, real quick on Spielberg too. I would say the one thing that I wish he would do is I think he is still, even though he is thought of as sort of the the king, is still very scared of failure. And mm-hmm. I, I don't think he takes a lot of chances because of that. Because even even naming those movies that I named, they still feel kind of awards. But maybe Ready Player One is maybe one of the few chances he's taken recently. But like. Think of Hook, which is not a good movie, uh-huh. but like is something he was really passionate about and something that was not, you know, the same. It's not the same as, you know, the man that made Schindler's List or Amistad. And I feel like that, you know, or like the person who made Always. And once again, not great movies, but I'd rather see him try something that's not so up his alley. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I like the post, but I I blame Meryl for me liking that movie because she's I, great I and I love it. her. That apparently the character she plays is just a com- was just like a complete monster in real life too. Oh so, really? Well, she's yeah. not a monster in the movie. You know, Meryl never plays monsters. Not yeah. right. even Margaret Thatcher is not a monster with her. <laughs> see, Meryl should play monsters. We'll never see her as Irina Spalko, who is a monster. I- I would say, for people who listen to this podcast, if you haven't watched Crystal Skull and you're, watch- and you're listening to a Kate Blanchard podcast, you have to drop everything. Go watch <laughs> this movie. It's on Netflix. She is fun. She is crazy over the top, but fun. You don't have to watch the whole movie. This convoluted plot, you'll never understand it. I am still confused. But just fast forward, and whenever she's on, you'll have fun. And, and it is somehow only two hours. And yeah. that was the most shocking thing. I had seen it before, and I was like, this movie is only two hours? So, like, yeah. So, and it moves. It's a it lot does, of scenes it does move. There's moving so much, from place There to is place. so much happening and so much exposition. So, yeah, it yeah. does move. Absolutely. So now that we are done talking about Irina Spalko, let me ask you a few questions about Kate. So what do you think of when you think of Kate? You know, I mentioned before that she has this sort of otherworldly presence, and I don't, I don't know what it is. She, she's just such a formidable force when she comes into these films, and 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 she, I don't know. I feel like you have to be on your toes when you're in a film with Kate Blanchett. You have to, you have to really, really be on your A game because there's a there's a chance she'll just steal it right out from under you, <laughs> which she does most of the time. Absolutely. Yeah. Is there a Kate performance that only you love? <laughs> well, uh, it's not Irina Spalko, I bet. It's it's not. It's not. <laughs> um, the 
it's it's funny because uh, you just did an episode on Oscar and Lucinda, and uh, yeah, as you mentioned in that episode, she's not in the movie a ton. You know, there's a there's a large portion in the middle that she's not in, but I do really love her performance in that movie, and and I feel like that's a film that a lot of people haven't seen. Mm-hmm. And then you know when you did the mixed reviews, why do you love her, Lucinda? I think there's I think there's something very charming and very innocent about the woman she is in that movie. But she but she's also she's in control. She's in control of her own innocence. You know, you mentioned that scene where she first meets Ray Fiennes, where she's like, she knows that he's a gambler, but she's not letting on. So she's like, will you take my confession? And she's being really coy with him and everything. But I I love the way that she presents herself because there's this optimism that she hopes that everything will turn out out all right in the end. Yeah. Even though she's this person who's obsessed with gambling and, and she doesn't necessarily know that the outcome will be positive. I mean, she's faced tragedy in her life. Her parents have died. There's this, this brightness to her where she's mm-hmm. just like, well, it's, it's going to be okay. And, I, and I, there's something very attractive about that. That's such a good explanation uh, of that character. I love it. I love what you said. <laughs> but uh, the other one I would say is Heaven, just because I'm like on my one person crusade to make everybody watch Heaven at this point. But I love it. But also a very... I have to friend. say, um, Heaven is one of the movies that people who follow the podcast on Twitter have asked the most for. So really? I, uh, I'll just let you know, you're not the only one. Oh, good, good. Thank, yeah, because that movie is really brilliant and that's a really complicated character um and uh selfish isn't the right word because in a way she's very selfless mm-hmm. but she but there's like a a survival quality to her character where she she's like i need my needs met i need my goals accomplished and i will do anything to get them and so that's another interesting uh, hard complicated performance because she's very single-minded human in that. And her Italian accent is more palatable than her Ukrainian. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And they, and they do write, they will give them this, they write her, uh, uh, you know, plausible deniability in that. They're like, well, she's British. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> Who do you think Kate worked the best with on screen? You know, I, I I want to say Carol because I do really love her performance with Rooney Mara, and I think it's really tender, and very soft, and very sweet. Mm-hmm. But I think you're I think you sold me when you said it's Judy Dench, like in Notes on a Scandal, and I think it's because it's these two power. It's like watching a boxing match, you know, a well matched boxing match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where it's just these powerhouses going back and forth, especially. Especially in that scene at the end, I believe I believe you referred to it as the 21st century. Whatever happened to Baby Jane? Yeah, absolutely. And that's and it, that's what it feels like. It's it's that you know. Oh, I love that movie. God, Betty Davis Crawford yeah. matchup. Yeah, yeah, it totally is. I love Dame Judy, and if I didn't have a podcast called Sundays with Kate, I'll have a <laughs> podcast called Tea with the Dame because she is amazing in everything that she does. Because she's a genius. So yeah, she is, and she's such a treasure. And I hope that you know she gives us more and more and more movies. Um, she's so amazing, and she is. I think Barbara Covet is one of her best creations, and that's the right answer, Gavin. <laughs> I studied. I studied. I may have. I looked at the teacher's paper. 
So I wanted to ask you, um, so we talked about Dame Judy, we talked about Rooney Mara. Who do you, would you like to see Kate work with? Like, it doesn't have to be another actor or director. It can be a costume oh, designer. Oh, then me. No. <laughs> 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 just anyway. Yes, I would like to, I would just like to have brunch with, um, oh, God. Oh, goodness. Who would, I, you know, she, she has such a knack for working with talented and interesting people. And that's clearly, like, one of her goals in life is to to really seek out you know the the next person she's working with is Guillermo del Toro and yeah so she's really like focused in on finding these interesting people so it'd be kind of interesting I would love to see her do some sort of like straight up straight horror with Mike Flanagan who is the director of Dr. Sleep, which just came out. Mm, and he did yeah. the uh, Haunting of Hill House miniseries for Netflix and is doing the second season. And he did Gerald's Game. And I really think he is one of the most brilliant genre directors working. I don't always love his stuff. This is not like a, mm-hmm. like a, a full-on, like, because let me tell you, I think the ending of The Haunting of Hill House is maybe one of the worst things I've seen in a long time. But... I, I think he's a really interesting director and he has a really interesting point of view and I would love to see what he could do with somebody like Kate and I would love to see what she could do mm-hmm. with somebody like him. That's such an unexpected answer. Now <laughs> I want to see that. I want to see her in a horror movie. Wow. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I, I mean, I know she could pull it off, but it'd be, I'd be curious what the angle would be between them. Yeah. If you're listening, Kate, call my plan again. <laughs> um, we want to see that. Thank you so much, Gavin. This was such a joy. And before we leave, why don't you tell uh, our listeners where they can find you and your work? But uh, I also co-host a podcast, as you mentioned. It's called The Mixed Reviews. I do it with my friend, Louis Randone. And uh, it's a bi-weekly film podcast where we take a film subject, such as an actor or director or a mini-genre, and we give a complete history. So it's a bit like getting a full mini book report and then we talk about what we really like and we talk about what we don't really like um and sometimes it's hard when it's kate blanchett and it's hard to pick things that you don't really like and you can find us uh anywhere that you get your podcasts you can tweet at us at at the mixed reviews and then my personal twitter is at friendless mean which is how i'm going to die someday so that's me (laughs) and i was on gavin's podcast um, and we talked about kate blanchett so if any of you haven't listened to that Please go listen to it. It was a fun conversation. Thank you again, Gavin. And you can find me on Twitter at me underscore says and follow the podcast at Sundays with Kate. And until next time, thank you for listening.